Amen. Good morning. Okay. So the one statement, the one point of this message enables me to introduce myself with three points. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. And I am a believer in recovery, like it says on my package, transformed through Christ. Hashtag transformed through Christ. Right, Craig's introduced the topic. We've got, I have the privilege to kick off the new series as a really nice low benchmark. Um, so, and it's the creed, and it is really important. The first time I heard about the creed, I, I was a child, come from a Christian family, they said. And, um, and, and in the family, to be a Christian family, you um, christened your children and then you confirmed your teenagers. You didn't need a relationship with God in between or read the Bible, but these were the two important things you needed to do to become a Christian. And um, I was a teenager, I got to the confirmation bit, and I had to go along and learn the creed off by heart to say to the Bishop of Bath and Wells. And the opening statement, my one point of my message is, I believe in God. And yes, I did believe in God. I could say that honestly to the Bishop of Bath and Wells. I did believe in God. That's never been a problem for me. My problem is that I've believed in a God of my understanding, and that hasn't been the God of the Bible. I've believed that um, my God looked quite similar to the God of the Bible. He had a son called Jesus, the Holy Spirit. His son died on the cross rose after three days, went to heaven, sat at the side of the Father. There was lots of similarities, um, but it wasn't the God of the Bible. My God loved football. Yes, I really believed. I'm not joking. I believe my God loved football. He loved my passion for football, and he fully understood the sacrifices that needed to be made with my family with work and church, to pursue the shared passion that we had. He, like me, believed and wanted it to come home desperately. In fact, I shared here at church once that my God was red, that he supported my beloved Manchester United team. Actually, the God of my understanding loved everything that I loved, and if I wanted something, he wanted it for me. He was perfect. Then, through a softening of my heart by the Holy Spirit and a God-given desire to read his word and apply, apply an action word to my life, I met the one and only living God, and that is the God of the Bible. So when I say today, I believe in God, that statement makes my life look quite different. Our scripture this morning is from a book considered by many as probably Paul's greatest work, And that is the letter he wrote to the Romans. So if you would like to follow along with me, I'm reading from Romans 1, 18 to 25, and I'm reading the NKJ, the New King James Version. But I've written it out, so it's obviously a piece of paper. Right, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and served the creature rather than the creator. Blessed forever. Amen. To give some context to this passage, and context is always important, um, Paul's explaining in the previous verses about the gospel, which is the good news, which reveals the righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness um, that we receive at the point of the cross. Now Paul is writing a parallel truth. In verse 18, he is ushering the entire of humanity into God's courtroom, where he, the prosecutor, is arguing for the guilt of humanity. Paul brings the accusation of humanity's sin, presenting the evidence and securing the verdict guilty before God. In this section, he is aiming his remarks at the godless, but in chapter 2, he condemns the moralist and the religious Jew. Paul gives us the detail about God's wrath. His aim is to convict humanity. So Paul is writing here because he knows that there are people that are listening to him, that they do feel that they are righteous and that they don't need a saviour. He is saying in this scripture that there is no man without excuse. There is no excuse. You will not stand before our father and say, well, I didn't know about you. I didn't hear about you. When I first heard about God's wrath, this was an attribute of God that I felt was best ignored. I would cherry-pick through the scriptures, deleting in my mind those bits that banged on about his wrath. It was something distasteful and difficult to be part of the God of my understanding. I would even make apologies to others as it seemingly marred his almost perfect image, like God needs me to apologise for him. Not so today. I believe in God. Verse 18, Paul states that the wrath of God is revealed. Is revealed. Is revealed. This isn't past or future tense. This is present tense now. And why is that wrath being revealed? Because God's truth is being suppressed in unrighteousness. And what is that truth? That he exists, that God exists. I believe in God. Paul suggests all men know that God exists. How can that be, I hear you think? It says, because God has revealed it to all men everywhere. Yes, every man and woman that has ever lived God has revealed it to them that he exists. How has he revealed it to them? In his creation, 
all around us. Verse 20 says, his invisible attributes are clearly, he has not hidden himself. They are clearly seen. God has not hidden himself from us. David writes in Psalm 100, sorry, 19, no 100, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies declare the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal his knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, and no sound is heard from them. Yet, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. As well as the evidence of God's existence around us, we also have the knowledge of God inside every man. Paul writes in Romans 2:15 that God, I paraphrase, put a conscience within all men that they know right from wrong. This conscience, God did not put in animals. So, our cat Nala, she goes out and kills mice, brings them in and maims them and cripples them on the floor. So, what shall we say? Is my cat a guilty, evil murderer? Of course not. She has no conscience placed in her. She has no sense of right and wrong. That is not so for all men. So, we all know God exists from the evidence around us and from within us. The, de the design speaks of a designer. So, why do some suppress the truth? I am not going to give you loads of intellectual arguments for why men suppress the truth. In the simplest form, they don't like God. Yes, all men, of course, want there to be a heaven and they want to live forever. But they just don't want God to be there. He is raining down on their sin parade so when a man says he doesn't believe in God, I suggest Romans 1, 18 to 25 says liar. They deny his existence so they don't have to worry about God and can pursue living their best lives now. They love their sin more than they love or fear God. To me, this scripture suggests there are no atheists. Considering the evidence, it takes more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God. This banana is screaming of God's existence. This is the atheist's worst nightmare. Let's examine this banana. We see on the far side, take one when you get home, it's, it's real. There are three ridges on its far side. There are two ridges on its close side. Take the human hand to hold the said banana. There are three grooves on its far side, and there are two grooves on its near side. Perfect match. The human hand is made to hold the banana. Let's look at a few more things. The maker of the banana, God, has given it some clever, it's fully biodegradable. It has outward indicators of inward content. Let me explain. Thank you, Charlotte. <laughs> yes, that did take a lot of remembering, to be fair. Right, so, green, don't eat me. Yellow, eat me. 
brown, make a cake. If you go up to the top of the banana, you will see this feature that God has put in, a tab. You can pull the tab back and see how it forms over the human hand perfectly, like that, with a slight curvature ready for the human mouth. The atheist's worst nightmare. <laughs> Trisha, I hear you scream. This is a really stupid argument to prove the designer. So I say to you, look at the human eye. There are 40,000 nerve endings. There are rotating muscles that move over 100,000 times a day. That's right, Freddie, isn't it? There are 137 million light-sensitive cells. In fact, Charles Darwin said, to suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Of course it is absurd. The eye, along with the entire of creation, screams of God. God has not hidden himself from us. R.C. Sproul once said, delivering apologetics, which I would just like to explain, because I thought apologetics means an apology for the word. No, it's in a defence. It's a defence of the word. So, whilst delivering apologetics to an atheist club, on a college campus, I am happy to discuss the intellectual passages in the Bible that prove the existence of God. But I put my cards on the table in the light of what Paul wrote in Romans 1, 18 to 23. I am persuaded that I am carrying coals to Newcastle. As it is clear in this passage, you all know very well that there is whoops, a God. Your problem is not that you don't know that God exists, but rather that you hate the God that you know exists. So this is not an intellectual argument, but rather a moral one. The scriptural truth leaves the entire of humanity, as it says at the end of verse 20, without excuse. We were a family, to be clear. We will not stand before our Father and humiliate ourselves with the words, I hope we won't, with, with the words, but I didn't know you existed. Nobody told me. No, God told us. Verse 21, they knew God, but they did not glorify him or were thankful to him. With their foolish hearts became darkened. Verse 22, they became foolish. Verse 23, with foolish hearts, they worshipped the design and not the designer. God made man to worship. That is our primary purpose. We were created to worship him. If we are not worshipping him, we are definitely worshipping something else. Paul writes of animals. For me, I did not worship animals, but I have worshipped alcohol football, a dysfunctional relationship. All these things have been the centre of my life, on the throne of my life, but God. Verse 24 says the saddest words. God gave them, I'm paraphrase, God gave them up to their sin. God gave them up. 
There are two Greek words for God's wrath. One we read about in Revelation with the trumpet and bowl judgments. It's scary and something to be feared. This is eschatological wrath. That will come. Jesus sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane at the thought of having to face God's wrath. Let's be clear, Jesus was not a coward. He was not frightened of dying on the cross. He was sweating blood at facing God's wrath. Here, Paul is writing in the present tense. The expression of God's wrath here is not the wrath of revelation, but rather the wrath of abandonment. Okay, you want it, you have it, and all that comes with it. I will give you up to your sin. That is the wrath that Paul is writing about. Family. Many of you know me, and you know my story. I arrived here about 2006, broken, snotting, bubbling, having been given up to my sin. I had followed my flesh, and I'd loved my sin. The cost was total despair and brokenness to me and my family. God gave... uh, God gave me up to the desires of my flesh. I told you at the beginning my understanding of God and following that God, which was really me in disguise, brought me to the lowest place because that was not God. Family, you loved me when I couldn't love me. You loved me when I was unlovable. You never condemned me, condemned my sin. I was living in a dysfunctional relationship, not married, with the only child that I had been allowed to keep. In my darkest hours, you didn't try and fix me. Instead, you always lifted my head and put my gaze on the designer. You did your part really well, and I thank you um, for your love and patience with me. Then God grabbed me. He softened my heart with his Holy Spirit. Now I was able to receive the revelation of my true spiritual state. And that was, I had been dead, totally dead. He did a divine work in me, so I was able to respond to him. He walked with me. He changed all my understanding of him through his word. I had to pick it up and read it, and to continue to read it. Um, He changed all my understanding of him through his word and through the ministry of believers in recovery, which all we do is study God's word. I study with them four times a week. He put in my path men of God like Gavin, confronting me with scriptural truths and always bringing me back to God's word. There were no grey bits allowed, no speculation, just the black bits, showing me the depth of my depravity, balanced with the depth of God's love for me. When I deserved justice, I received mercy, not because God found any good in me. I received a revelation of the cross. It was then I became truly thankful for my new spiritual condition. I had turned from an enemy of God to a child of God, like I said in my three-point introduction. 
Through no work of mine and only through the work of Jesus did on the cross, imputing his righteousness in exchange for my sin. He showed me who he was and today continues to reveal himself to me through his word. Family. I have found no evidence that he likes football. And if he does, he definitely has not written about it in his word. He definitely does not like drunkenness. And through a daily reprieve, I am in my 11th year of sobriety. Thank you, Jesus. He, God, called my relationship sexually immoral. He said I was a fornicator. Thank you, family, for never saying that to me. I was convicted by the Holy Spirit and not condemned by you, and that is important. As I responded to him, he has transformed my life to a place where I am forever grateful. He gave me my son back, a relationship that I had sacrificed in the pursuit of my flesh. He restored my education. I have um, my GCSEs, and I have a first-class nursing classification degree. I have a job. Yes, I do. For the first time in my life, I am paying tax and council tax, and I am probably the only one in the room that is really happy about that. I have never earned enough money to be over the tax threshold. Praise God, I am restored. Okay? When I left a relationship so that I was right with God, he did not give me a husband, but for the first time in my life, he has made me happy and to be peaceful, to be in the situation he's left me with, single with him. He gave me a family. He gave me you guys. I was terrified to come up here this morning, and I'm looking out, and I know that I am loved. Thank you. Thank you. I want to use scripture to sum up why I believe in God, because I've used my words and I want to end with scripture. That's your cue clue, uh, Craig, because I don't land. I'm not an aeroplane pilot, but you might want to be getting your ministry ready soon. Okay, right. Okay. Scripture best sums up why I believe in God when David writes in 2 Samuel, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support, and he brought me out into a spacious place, and he rescued me because he delights in me. Amen. Yes, I believe in God. James says that this is good, but even the demons believe and shudder. So I suggest this morning that this statement should look like something in our lives. A very wise person said to me, only use words when necessary. The world should see we believe in God by the way we live our life. My life should glorify the designer and not the design. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ministry team, come up. Worship band. Let's go into prayer. Let's do some business with God. Like, yes. Trisha, we love you. You're just...